everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I will be your host. And for the new year, I'm joined by Scott and yours. Scott and yours, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi everyone, I hope you're well. My word guys, an amazing amount of stuff has happened since we last convened. Where do we start? Well, it's actually been a month this time. For me, at least, you guys had a separate recording in between. Uh, highly recommended, of course, to listen to that and to read Ben's book on the, the ongoing AFCON as well. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, good to be back. Yeah, definitely is good to be back. If we might feel a little bit rusty getting ourselves back into it. We haven't, unlike some of the Belgian teams, been on any kind of like nice warm summer training retreats or anything like that. We've very much been stuck inside our houses dealing with the stupid storms <laughs> that are going on. So we're hoping that Scott will actually last the whole episode without his house being blown away <laughs> in the wind. Are we in Jocelyn or, or Isha anymore? I can't remember which storm we're in. They just seem to be happening every single week now. Um, but, so far, so good, no? Yeah, <laughs> he's, still <laughs> <it>. <laughs> he's still there. Um, it would make a very funny clipper <laughs> seeing you blow away, but just sleep <laughs> next to you. So, and, and if the cat runs away, that's when you know things are going to happen. Um, but yeah, definitely, let's go into the uh, weekend's roundup of results. Friday night, I guess you could say a shock result, uh, but we'll probably get into it a little bit more. Ghent 1, Mechelen 2. Uh, Saturday, Genk and Circle of Bruges drew 1-1. Kortelijk and Standard Liège both under new management. Kortelijk came out the better there. They won that one goal to nil. Club Bruges beat Veslo quite comfortably, three goals to nil. Antwerp comfortably took care of Charleroi at home on the Sunday. That finished 4-1. Union left it late to come back against St. Sluden to win 2-1. Leuven drew 1-1 with Anderlecht. And at the time of recording, uh, it's currently still open one uh, Molenbeek nil. Uh, but there's still five minutes left and they're playing that at 2pm UK time or Wednesday, 3pm Belgian time. Um, but they're only going to play the last couple of minutes, which, yeah, <laughs> that just seems a bit ridiculous. But we'll definitely get to the reasons for that. But let's start in Ghent uh, with Mechelen being the visitors uh, to the Ghent Arena. Uh, much changed Ghent side, obviously, this week. Gift Orban's gone, Malik Fafana gone, both gone to Lyon. Um very much one of those kind of situations, I guess you could say, where if you're a football manager and your team is in desperate need of money, you add a new manager, you add that manager to a team with a lot of money, and then you go and buy two of your players. Uh, and that's what happened. Leon spent a lot of money on Ghent players. And I think even Heim was like, this basically sorts us out. To, we should be buying players like a top club uh, in the summer. They didn't play like a top club on the pitch, unfortunately. Um, really poor defending from them allowed... And Rabti to get a cross in, absolutely kind of missed clearance from Agbor. The ball falls to Leon Lauer back. He's just got to put it in, but he smashes it against the post instead. Thankfully for him, Dan Foulon, who, to be fair, I think he's been playing a lot better in a couple of like recent games for Mechelen. Um, he's starting to kind of really come into his own. He tucked it in to make it 1 0. Um, Gent then did come back in the second half. Gendelman with a little layoff to Julian Dessart within just the, within the hour mark, and he tucked it into the bottom of the net. Besnik Hassi did make a couple of changes. Bill Antonio came on in the 75th minute, just eight minutes later. He makes it 2-1. Horrendous mistake from Ismail Kandus, just absolutely fluffs his clearance straight up in the air. It was awful, really, really bad. Um Ball eventually falls to Jonas Maleda. He squares it or plays it across to Bill Antonio. Really, really nice finish uh, from Bill Antonio to make it 2-1 to Mechelen. 
great, great result for Beznik Hassi and his side. Bear in mind, they've basically done nothing uh, in the winter window. They are kind of just rolling with what they've got. For Ghent, I think it's a reminder, I guess, to say that, yes, they are missing some players, but the team on the pitch probably should have done a little bit better. Uh, but now that they've got some of that money in, they did bring in a new player, to be fair to them. That was the winger, Daisuki Yokota. Uh, he comes in from Gornik Zabza in the extra class, where his numbers are really, really good, actually. Uh, he like Lots of people saying he should be quite a decent player. Um, he made his debut, but unfortunately for him, it was on the losing end uh, to Kave Mekelen. We were a wee bit worried, weren't we? We've been flagging this up for ages, that just maybe January uh, could be a tricky month for, for Ghent. Not just because they were losing players to AFCON, but they might lose players on a more permanent basis. Um, and it's difficult to know yet whether this performance is simply you know, a slightly below par one or, or whether there's going to be a little bit more to this and this is a bit of a downturn in, in, in form time. Time will tell. Um, they weren't great, the Buffaloes, um, this weekend, in all honesty. And Mechelen weren't great either, I didn't think. But what they did do this weekend is take the few chances that they that they did have. And uh, they come away with, I think, their first away win against Gain in, I think, it's 12 years. Um, which is which is pretty mental um, in itself, and will be a really good shot in the arm for them, to be honest. Because you know, as you were saying, Ben, they've they've had a an extremely quiet window so far. I think they are working quite hard behind the scenes to do what they can with almost no wiggle room whatsoever. And speaking of wiggle room, we did get confirmation yesterday that the club lost Mechelen. This is Mechelen lost ten million um, last year. Um, which is almost doubling the date of the previous year, which was about six, I think. So financially speaking, despite the injection of main shareholder, Philip Van Esch, um, you know, to ensure that the licence will be safe, they, they are in really tricky waters at the moment. So a result like that is a, is a really welcome one um, for them. Um, they'll be trying really hard to bring a striker in before the end of the window as well. And there's obviously been some chat about Benito Raman. Can't quite agree terms um, for various reasons. A few suitors after him. Um, they've been trying very hard to look at the numbers to see if Michael Frey was an option as well. And that's proved equally disappointing for them so far. So um, that win, really, really important. Besnick has saying, look, we just have to go with what we've got as Ben was saying, and really use the team spirit and work ethic to, to get us some points and to, to see us safe. Um, and that's a pretty good start to come back from the winter break from. Yeah, that combination of these last two messages of Scott, the, the loss uh, that they had, and then trying to bring in strikers with, well, with quite a uh, well-paid strikers in the form of Raman and Frey, it, it does not seem likely that they, uh, well, at their current terms, or even a little, well, they definitely will have to give in some wages if they would end up there. But I, it it does seem like there might be some, um, yeah, some some water, more water to uh, that they need to put uh, through the wine there in the to to get there. Um, yeah, for Michela, indeed, the kind of win that they will need, and that I feel like that will lead Michela to safety in the end. Um, yeah. Um, just it's uh, it's uh, it, there are other teams as well, like the, of course that can say that. But this is definitely a good way to start that uh, second star uh, part of the campaign, which is a uh, quite short, of course, as well. It's only nine games left in this regular season, 
Uh, like Scott mentioned, first away win in Ghent since 2012. Uh, so even uh, since before the the new Ghent Arena was there, so it's actually the first win in uh, in in what yeah, well not Helamcon anymore, but the okay, Ghent Arena, but at least the building uh, uh, stands. Um, yeah, with the uh, first goals for both Foulon and Antonio for, for Mechelen, for the senior squad, uh, at least as well. Antonio already scored a few um, as well in the, the under-23 squads um, in the lower leagues uh, for Mechelen this season. But um, yeah, definitely um, n- not a great restart on the other hand for Gint, not, not only with this loss, but also already having the home loss against Club Brugge in the cup before. Uh, in the week where the performance was also not great from either side, but nonetheless, um, yeah, it, it, it are worrying times a bit for Hint. I've always downplayed the, the impact of of these um, international competitions in January and in February now as well. But uh, well, we'll have to see. Uh, this is not a great start to to put, to prove my point there because uh, that that's it definitely must have hurt Hint. Uh, of course, in combination with selling. Uh, two important players for them as well, uh, regardless of their form or their recent um, behavior and form on the pitch. But uh, yeah, definitely efficiency a bit the the key as well. The Gent, in fairness, had their chances. Uh, Kuka had a had a good game for Michele, but um, yeah, also a bit shown maybe the efficiency lacking at Gent uh, by the way they actually scored. Um, yeah, the the side with a long uh, shot from long distance. Yeah, that's that's. It had to come from something like that. Of course, also uh, don't want to take anything away from that. It's a, it was a really nice goal, and we all know the Sar actually has this quite a, uh, kind of long range effort in him. So it's not a complete surprise that it's uh, a such goal that pulls them over the line. But especially now, with um, yeah, indeed, uh, mostly up front, actually some some issues with players leaving or at least temporarily not there. Uh, in combination with yeah, actually giving away the two goals, I think as well the second goal, Candus also completely miss uh, miss misreads the situation there, and um, yeah, that that cost them the at least one point in uh, at that time in the game, but maybe even a combination of the second of the two goals that they concede, maybe even a win uh, there, regardless of the performance level, yeah. Being mediocre at best, I guess. Uh, but yeah, important win for Mechelen. Um, disappointing loss and 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 worrying signs for Gent. Uh, but of course, they're still stand in a, in good standing. But uh, they should not. They should start picking up form really quickly. Actually. Yeah, no, some really good points. Um, yeah, especially kind of like picking up on what Scott said about Mechelen not having any money and then trying to get strikers that. Obviously, would be good enough, but maybe they should go and get uh, the current top scorer in the Afcon, uh, Emilio Ensue, uh, who's currently playing. I think he's like lower reaches of Spanish football, maybe like third or fourth tier, and he's playing as a right back. So there you go. Maybe if you could offer him, look, you come play as a striker for us, mate. Be great. Yeah, um, a young talent as well. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Just what they need. He's only thirty-four. <laughs> <laughs> Short-term deal. Keep you in the league. Be perfect. He, yeah, he's still looking good. Um, yeah. Looking forward to seeing Ghent against Vestalo next weekend in person. Um, that could be a, a bit of a shambles um, for Ghent because they can't really afford to lose that one on the back of losing this one. I think that's just, you're dropping too many points at that point. And I think the Candus mistake, this isn't the first time we've seen him make a mistake that's led to a goal. And he just looks so much better when he's got 
Watanabe and Tarun Liga next yeah. to him uh, when he is kind of like meant to be the main focal point of the defence. I think it's fair enough. Like Most people would struggle without those two next to them, but he just looks a bit little less assured. Um, and then Daniel Schmidt was in goal as well. We haven't actually mentioned yeah. that, but uh, Japanese goalkeeper from St. Truden, long time in St. Truden. He's now in Ghent. Uh, was meant to be covered for Roof, and then Roof got injured. So they're just having a bad time of goalkeeper injuries at the moment. So hopefully, fingers crossed, Daniel Schmidt can actually stay <laughs> injury-free. I do hope um, when you're at the game, Uncle, uh, for the game uh, this weekend, Ben, I do hope you're able to sample the the, the famous Flemish stew, uh, which you can get at the game, Uncle, which apparently is legendary. I've seen many pictures of this and it has made me salivate. So um, I'm sending our Ben in our mission. That's the real reason he's going. He's not going to see the game. He's going to get that stew. Absolutely. I don't know how I'll swing it with my wife. Romantic meal in Ghent before the game. You can have two meals, no worries. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> yeah, get hungry at the game, I'm sure it'll be. Yeah, hopefully it's a good game. But yeah, if any Ghent fans are there, let us know. It'd be good to see people around um, and hopefully a good game between those two sides. Let's go to uh, Genk for the next game. This was on the Saturday afternoon, the first kickoff there. Obviously, Genk missing Joseph Paintsall for this one. Lots of noise around Artiega and Munoz as well. Artiega obviously playing back in this game with Joris Kiembe at the AFCON with the DRC. Um, but Circular were definitely the better team in the first half. Kevin Denke opened the scoring ball in. Like, are we going to say cross from Thibaut Sommers? I think he was shooting. Uh, the way he hit it pretty hard, but it was a really nice finish from Denke. Lovely moment for him, obviously, with the passing of his mum in the last couple of weeks. He dedicated that to her. Um, clearly been quite an emotional time. That's why he missed uh, a game or two, I think it was, at the back end in December. Um, so, yeah, obviously wish him and his family well, but it's nice to see him back on the pitch and doing what he does best, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. Although, yeah, Circovich had so many chances in this game. Like They finished the game with an XG of 3.49, but only scored one goal. 19 shots, six of which were on target. They just could not find a second goal. And in this league against a side like Genk, you will probably eventually be punished. Uh, even if they're not playing well, they still got players that can find the back of the net. And one of those was Andy Zakiri. Uh, he comes off the bench and literally within a few seconds gets the equaliser outside of the foot shot into the bottom corner. Really, really nice finish. Actually, really, really impressive finish from Zakiri. Finishes 1-1. I guess... Joris, obviously, to go to you as the Genk fan, but kind of looking from the circular angle as well, not actually an ideal result for both sides when you think Genk would have probably wanted to win this one at home going into it, whereas circular after the game would have looked at it and thought we could have been so much more efficient and we probably could have won this one and closed the gap to the top six even further, even to a level on points with Antwerp. But alas, it was just a point and both sides had to go home pretty unhappy, I guess. Yeah, well, ultimately, um, I, I was lucky that my uh, that I, that my internet went flat for an hour or so during this game. <laughs> I've, after I already was infuriated by how tame the, the Genk players had started, but um, I will also try to, to look at it in a positive way. Uh, not for Genk, though, but like the, yeah, to to praise Circle there. They they really came out flying, and um, yeah, they they really um, did not uh, yeah. Ask a lot of questions from Hink uh, in the in the first fifteen minutes that I could see. <laughs> then, then unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for myself, 
uh, my internet went for really a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a cheeky good finish though from from Denki. I want to highlight that as well. Even though I do agree, I think it was more of a well improvised finish because uh, there was not really uh, an, a, a clear cut cross or assists uh, coming from from him. That uh, uh, yeah, also want to highlight one more cycle player, the Le Maréchal, who was really outstanding in midfield. But uh, it was a bit of a masterclass for him. But that's also going to to get to that. But uh, yeah, the, his finishing was lacking in this game, and that ultimately cost him to not win it, of course, as well to not take home all uh, all of the three points. And um, yeah, like I said, I was already furious at the game start. Um, yeah, but uh, and if, uh, in the end, I, I am ha- relatively happy with the point because of these implications. Uh, indeed, Circle still at bay. Um, well, actually, also okay. Of course, it would have been even better to to win, uh, especially with Hint dropping points uh, as well. But on, uh, in close that gap. But on the other hand, it's still slowly getting close. It's it is a better result than them, so it's a bit closer. And of course, as with Gent, there are some mitigating factors um, with Afcon injuries. Uh, with Afcon, so like really, Elkan, uh, half half of the squad was was a different uh, player or were different players, of course. And ultimately, with with Painsil, Elkanus, uh, to name the most important ones, but Fadera as well, Fadera. Uh, Nkayembe has, has been already mentioned, and then Captain Captain Han, and also being out. So the the whole in the whole core of the team, there were a lot of people missing. So there, there, that's that that's why, given circ- these circumstances, I'm relatively happy. And the way the game went as well, I'm relatively happy that that Hint, uh, Hink, uh, did get away with a point here. And given the team they were up against, so that they they couldn't uh, close the gap, or not only to Antwerp but also to Hink uh, themselves. Um, also, yeah, of course, cannot uh, not mention that. Uh, of course, also like the the the, the this injury, uh, this, this squad issues were a bit more uh, a bit bigger because of uh, some things that didn't happen before the game, which was at, um, putting the right admin in to to register the the young Hank players uh, that could have uh, filled some spots on the bench and maybe have some impact even later in the game. At least there they, they were very limited options on the bench because of this mistake. Um, not, still not completely sure how it went. Did, was it a Hank mistake? Well, probably yes, but also was I, I, there were some rumors about some software errors in the system, like you have to register the players before uh, the the. the the day before, like until midnight or something, I guess. Um, and yeah, okay. Anyway, it's too late. So I get, ultimately it is a Hank mistake for sure. But maybe there seem to be like some some other factors that could didn't help. Um, but um, yeah, to uh, and also of course, um, yeah, can't can't really talk about Hank uh, at the moment as uh, as it's quite still quite. Um, an, uh, yeah, current affairs, uh, the ongoing current affairs, maybe already for a month now, uh, with the case against, uh, well, to replay the game against Anderlecht, uh, which I, I myself feel, um, yeah, very ridiculous, and and I feel like maybe they they put too much energy in going into uh into this, in my eyes, useless case. Uh, um, and then, yeah, not focusing on on just the, the rest of the game. Not only because of the case, I've, they have a case to be honest. The, like 
yeah, the, there were mistakes made in in and like yeah, else by the referees, but you can't really fight them in court. I find because, um, well, yeah, if if they actually, I, I uh, would be put in the right, and they have to replay that game. Yeah, okay, then that's only the start of it all. I fear. Then then we will have. Oh, uh, uh, then 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 every team will uh, start looking at at things more, even more closely. Um, um, yeah. So um, also as well, we're, while I'm already talking too long about this topic already, but. Uh, also, just net, uh, quickly, so that we don't have to mention it more. Like, also, Club Brugge has done the same still uh, with, the, with uh, the game against Mechelen. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that. So that everyone knows about it. That 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 didn't that well. That hasn't followed the Belgian league for a month. Uh, that which is possible. Unfortunately, we have been actually not been there for a month. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just to keep everyone up to date, uh, there are some cases hanging. It also like today there was a meeting. So today, as, as of recording, that's uh, Tuesday. Um, then, yeah, there was a meeting, and um, it seems like the 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 end results of that of the of the uh, of the whole verdict the whole verdict potentially could be co- come only at the middle of May, which would be worrying for the whole rest of the season as well. Anyway, for playoffs and and implications everywhere uh, as well. Yeah, Joris is right. I, you know, he's alluding to the fact that everyone is now looking for mistakes everywhere, just in case, just in case you drop any points, you know, look for those mistakes. Uh, video analysts are about to have a whole new job description written for them, <laughs> just to complicate their lives a little bit. Uh, Joris is equally right. I think that was a really good point for his side, Genk, in the end, considering how well Circle played. They were really strong. And again, I completely agree with Ben. They were really disappointed not to have come away with all three points. That's the best they've played in in, in ages. And they've been pretty consistent for, you know, for for a while now. Uh, Really good use of the ball. Excellent pressing of space, which we know they're one of the best sides who do this. And I think tactically, Miron Muslic just got all of those little man... Man management battles absolutely right as well. And despite dropping two points, which they'll be disappointed by from a circular point of view, they're still right in the hunt for a playoff one spot. Yeah, no, they definitely aren't. It's nice to see De Silva Lopez back in the midfield. Uh, he's been out for a long time. And it felt like they, they kind of, this is starting to look more like their strongest 11. Obviously, lost Yangabor uh, in the winter already, uh, which kind of came out of nowhere, but. Typical kind of circle. They made a nice little profit on him anyway, so it just made sense to to let him go for that. But yeah, so they face Standard Liège on Friday night at the Embleidel. Standard Liège under new management. Ivan Lecco is back again uh, for another spell in Belgium. Just can't keep the man away. Uh, he thought he'd take on the Standard job, and yeah, he was up against a Kortrijk side who also had, had a new manager in Freya Alexanderson. I um, have to say, for the position called Tycho in, this guy looks like a real steal um, in terms of what you thought they could get. Um, obviously, we all expected it to be Eve van der Haag <laughs> because it's the typical of them. Uh, but it's not him. They've gone for someone that actually looks quite exciting, quite interesting, uh, formerly of the Icelandic women's youth team. Uh, Limby was his most recent job, I believe, in Denmark, and he'd done a decent job there. He got them back into the league, and he currently had them in like fourth position or something. So he he got them back in. They finished like around about seventh, I think it was last year. Now they they were pushing fourth. So he's left that to come and join Kortsaik at the bottom of the league. Everyone thought he's mad. Um, 
but after this game, may, maybe the great escape is on. Who knows? Who knows? Um, they went into standard and they were gifted the only goal of the game. Uh, Zeno van Huysen just absolutely awful, awful pass across the pitch to his fellow centre-back. Uh, never made it in time. Instead, it went straight to Philippe Avanati, obviously the former standard Liège striker. He did what he usually does, which is take an age to do anything. Uh, but when he did, he just smashed it into the bottom corner. And that made it 1-0. And that is how the game finished for Courtreich. Lucas Pillard was in goal for them. Uh, he got man of the match, actually, um, from Footmob for this one, for the four saves that he made. New look defender as well, Fuji, Aria Fuji. I need to kind of work out how you say his last name because it's got two eyes, so I'm sure there's a better pronunciation, just Fuji. Um, but he came and looked, looked pretty all right, actually, at the back there. So a couple of signs that maybe, maybe under this guy, there just seems to be a little bit of life. Kind of, he's, he's breathed a little bit of life and optimism and positivity into them. Um, he's kind of in, I guess he's got like kind of, if they go down, no one can blame him. But if he keeps them up, he's a hero sort of situation, um, which is not the worst position to be in. But early signs, that's a that's a good kind of, I know Standard aren't in the best of places at the moment, but for course, like to go there and win is just for them ridiculously good. They really like desperately in need of it. Um, and they all, are also starting to clear out some of the weird transfers that they made in the summer that didn't quite fit. Like I feel like he's kind of from the outside looking in, this is just kind of what I've, I've kind of witnessed. It's just, it looks like he's gone in and been like, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. Like there's just no point having you here because I don't think you're going to play for me. So back you go, off you go. Like Radovanovic has <laughs> gone to La Liga. Uh, he swapped the Belgian pro league relegation battle for the La Liga relegation battle with Almeria. Um, so it kind of like there's a bit of a clear out going on, but it's just whether they can get enough players in. But they got another uh, defender in today, I think it was in Tusonda. So a little bit of life in Kortsaik after this win, whereas for Standard, it's just painful. Leco in, but it's still painful for them. And yeah, it's it's not looking great. And they could easily, easily be sucked into a relegation scrap. Like they are in no way in a safe position. But yeah, big, really good win for Kortsaik. Just. I have a billion more questions for Standard. Yeah, the Freer Alexanderson appointment is a really, really interesting one. Um, as Ben was saying, um, he he's injected something in there straight away that just is it's, it's too early to say it's clicking, but the, there are some very positive early signs there. I think of a real genuine impact. You know, Ben was talking about how he's gone in and he's went, "I don't want you. I want you. I don't want you." You know, he's been really decisive really early, and there was actually some really cool stuff that Courtright released on their social media while the side were away in their winter training camp. It's kind of unusual, um, really frank stuff. Uh, Freya was swear, swearing a lot. Not, I mean, I, I don't mind that at all, but there's a lot of people going, why is this video being released? They were slightly outraged by it, but, you know, he was getting right inside some of the players' heads and, you know, putting his arm around their shoulders and, you know, just injecting some energy and intent to everything they were doing, trying to get a bit of joy back in there. And I think this weekend um, they looked a more structured side. They looked like they knew what they were doing and they looked a little bit more confident. The body language, as regulars will know, I'm always going on about, was much, much better. Um, so loads of positive signs there for me. Um, so a man coming into this game, Freire Alexanderson, saying, um, 
I'll take a point, but we'll play for three. Managed to get his three in the end because of Van Huysen's awful mistake, unfortunately. The good news for Standard is they still produce the best TIFOs in Belgium. That's that's certain. Their big um, anniversary TIFOs this weekend before the game were fantastic. Uh, they even threw in some fireworks there as well. Uh, TIFOs in all four stands. Um, and for the majority of this game, they actually played quite well. I, 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 You know, reasons to be optimistic, apart from that horrendous mistake that they lost the game from, I think there was a higher tempo to their game, which is really important. Ivan Leko likes his high-intensity vertical football. I just question whether does he have the right players at the moment to play that consistently week on week to get the points that they really want to get. I think he knows playoff one is done you know, that's not going to happen for them this year. Um, so he can use um, this latter part of the season really just to kind of get to know the squad a little bit better um, and use that time kind of wisely because in a way he's on a hiding to nothing. But as Ben was saying, he has to be very careful because he needs to still get enough points to to uh, have a respectable season. It's an interesting appointment. Um, I think he fits the standard... Um, identity. I just wonder, is he the right man at the wrong time? We don't know the answer to that yet, but that was kind of my gut instinct uh, when he was appointed, uh, because he just doesn't have the players there. Uh, And obviously there's not a lot of wiggle room financially at standard either at the moment. So um, yeah, an exciting game this, and um, shame there wasn't more goals, because there was certainly quite a few opportunities in the game. Yeah, well, I don't completely agree with with how uh, with well a little bit though. Well, my 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 tagline here is I guess more firework and celebrations before the game than on the pitch from Standard. So <laughs> about the level of play, I'm, I'm I'm less convinced than Scott at the moment. I guess also maybe considering it was against Kortrijk, it's maybe difficult to judge as well. Of course, since yeah, indeed they also have a bit of a different style and, and a bit different tactic and. Um, actually played better than they than they have been playing in the past f- few weeks, of course, as well. But um, yeah, in and and in analogy, well, the reverse analogy though to Michela, this could be the kind of loss uh, that that actually might drag Standard into this relegation battle. Um, I feel it's not the first uh, time, of course, they they, they lose against a smaller side even at home uh, and then perform well. Like I think they got half their points against. Uh, some of the top teams in the league as well this season. Uh, but yeah, especially with them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's been a month since I heard about it, I think as well, but that, that there might even still be a, a also for Standard uh, a point deduction lingering. I think there was a meeting in the beginning of February. If that actually goes through, of course, so that's all speculating at the moment, that, that really could drag them because it's not that they have a lot of margin um, there at the moment. Um, on Kortrijk, yeah, the first away win for them since the last uh, try uh, at Sclesen last last February, so in almost a year, and on the same place as well. So they, they like to go to Sclesen lately, um, which is a weird thing to say for a lot of other teams. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, also maybe a lease of life for them. Um, long road ahead, of course. Uh, still eight points away from from real safety for not being in the relegation playoffs, but on the other hand, maybe that this uh, thought just came into my head. Maybe it might be 
good for them that well they are relatively certain they will be part of these relegation playoffs but yeah of course at the beginning you can st- it gives them more time to actually close the gap with um, well i think it's still indeed eight around eight points uh to, to for the fourth to be very safe maybe they will even be happy uh with, with the third um last place or the 14th place even though they still would have to play a playoffs then that in their case, it actually would already mean they will have had a, b- a bit of a bump in form and will not go into that playoff, um, yeah, in, in in very in a downward spiraling, um, yeah, you know, in, spiraling downwards. And but yeah, um, of course, all way too early to tell. But encouraging signs, not only the victory, but also the, um, that the way they played, the structured way they played, they first they scored their first goal in uh, in four games as well. And um, their first clean sheet since the 21st of October, and only the second clean sheet uh, this season, also the first one away from home. So, yeah. Um, yeah, lease of life, maybe. <laughs> Definitely, maybe. Definitely, maybe. <laughs> um, no, to be fair, they've got what? Leuven on the weekend at home. That's a good chance. Charleroi. So, they, in terms of like who they've got left to play in the round, they have got Leuven, Charleroi. Uh, and Molenbeek, so all of those sides. And mm. I think you're right, Joris. I think if they did finish third from bottom, they're going into that playoff with the momentum. And I've always felt like with playoffs and stuff, you have to go in with some sort of momentum. You can't like, drop down into it. You need to be coming up into it. So if they do that, I think, again, like if he's gives them that chance, that's he's done successful. He's done had a successful time in charge of them because... Yeah, they've also got Club Bruges, who they like playing, but they usually like playing them at home rather than away. Um, so unfortunately, that's the away game. But yeah, it's it's kind of there's a chance there. And mentioned about the the points deduction for Standard, like if that did come in, they're only what yeah two points above um, the the fourth bottom spot. So it could it could be disastrous depending on how big it is. And I think seven 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 would be. <laughs> the, the fans would probably try and march them out of the building at that point. I think they'd no. have been like, "This is absolutely ridiculous." Um, but more on that later. Maybe there's nothing in it, of course, or there will be another uh, kind of punishment. But yeah, <laughs> but a lot of kind of the things that they have been like with the transfer bans and stuff that they weren't doing are the things that East End weren't doing, and they got points deduction. So it's kind of like, obviously, Standard then did eventually pay these things, um, but. Why did it take so long? I think that's the question, and it seems to be a business model rather than like accidental. Um, just from what I've I've read. Um, but to be fair, it was kind of a bit more positive note. It was nice to see uh, Hakim Sahobo, the eighteen-year-old Rwandan midfielder, get a first start for Standard Liège. Um, there was a bit of chatter about him playing for the SL 16s and stuff earlier in the year, so it's nice to see him get a chance on the pitch. But looking at that bench, it is very, very young at the moment. Um, so yeah, things probably do need to be done there, but who knows if there's any possibility of that happening. Let's go to Club Bruges, um, who have gone from entering this window a couple of months ago. Everyone was like, they need to f- probably find another striker. They might need to find a central def- the central defender one. We've always everyone's been saying they need to find, but the striker was the one that people were talking about. But then Thiago Rodriguez decided to score some goals, and he did it again uh, against Restelo. Um, he scored twice, tap, tapped in from a Zinkanagel assist early on uh, in 37th minute to make it 1 0. Um, we then have a red card, second yellow for poor Arthur Piedfjord. He sent off. Uh, Rodriguez takes a penalty to make it 2 0. It's 
lucky. <laughs> it's not the best penalty, but then the save's not the best save you'll ever see either. I don't get what Bolak's doing. Um, like, why is, like, I don't know how the ball goes where it goes, basically. Like, it hits Bolak, who dives to his right, and it goes in the bottom left corner, but only just. Um, so that was quite marginal. And then Noosa makes it 3 uh, 0. Even though Van Aken's shot is going in, he still taps it in. A lot of talk around this game was a bit nauseating. I don't know if you guys read it, just all about Rick DeMille coming back. And there's lots of talk about people asking him if he'd be the club Bruce head coach in the future and him saying, yeah, I'd love to. And it was all a bit weird, a bit like, is this necessary? Like the man's coming back with wrestler, he's got a job to do. Um, yeah, and he's only there as a, he was only head coach them for a couple of months. And obviously he was there as a coach and did lots of stuff, but just felt all a little bit lovey-dovey. Um, before it's actually quite an important game for the side. Uh, but Cumbruz and Thiago Rodriguez in particular march on. Um, just a nice win for them. They finished with yeah, an XG 4.12. Uh, Veselo's XG for anyone interested in XG 0.08. So pretty comprehensive in the end for club. One of those... You look down on the, the schedule, you see Vessel in the bottom club Bruges where they are on the run of form they're in, you just chalk it down to three points and that's what it is. And yeah, they're gonna they're gonna probably make that run now, um, that we've all been predicting they're doing. It's just now down to Union and Anderlecht and the rest of them to try and keep ahead or keep up with them. Yeah, club really overpowered Westerlo uh this weekend and they've they've been doing that to kind of a lot of sides really. Um, for a number of weeks now, sort of undefeated in eight domestically, um, in the league anyway, um, collected 17 of their last 23 points um, in the league as well. And, you know, Thiago, as Ben was saying, 13 goals and 21 with two assists. I will say it again, I've said it before, I was absolutely wrong about him. Um, you know, gave him a good few weeks fairly early on in the season. I thought, no, don't, don't see it. Don't see it at all, and you know it, all it took was a couple of goals, and he, he really is um, the the main man for them at the moment. It's funny Ben talking about the kind of club Bruges loving with uh, Rick DeMille going back. Obviously, that wasn't helped by the news confirmed today, but sort of um, you know well known yesterday, and that is that Romeo Vermant has joined uh, Westerlo on loan till the end of the season. A player, of course, that that Rick knows very well from his time um, at Club Next. Um, and and on the senior coaching staff um, at, at Club Bruges as well. So, um, yes, yeah, was lots of reasons for a bit of a crossover there. Yep, um, definitely just a regular win for them. First home win of the new calendar year uh, for the whole league. The, just, well, not very important, but that was more to mention. Kubrige now unbeaten across. Scott already mentioned some of the statistics, but uh, unbeaten across all competitions since that loss uh, against Union in the beginning of this uh, November, so more than two months now already as well. Um, yeah, also six penalties in the last four league games that explain a little bit of Thiago's goal production, of course, as well. Um, so that, and one of them was like, that's an exemplary penalty straight in the in top in top in penalty but then a few of the other ones including the one this weekend yeah they were a bit more shaky but they still went in uh but yeah uh all in all he has 10 goals in his last six games um again as well as overall so in all the competitions and i still don't know what to make of him like i, I i'm still not completely convinced either like I, I'm, I'm not holding my hands high yet uh up high uh, uh scott but i'm getting there because of course if he's 
production stays like this, you know, he has been uh, useful for, for the original video as well, um, of course. For the mill first loss uh, after four games, four games undefeated, and of course uh, Pete for Pete for with a really really yeah bad and stupid red card uh, three 0 down in the final minutes. <laughs> of course that's, but uh, I, I guess yeah, all in all they won't mind too much. Um, they, this was a game that they needed to tell. That was that was just on their schedule, and they they did probably did not expect to win uh, or get anything off. Uh, well, I've hoped, of course, but it, it was quite early on that it was clear that that was not going to happen. Yeah, the old uh, NBA schedule loss, as they call it, when they stick a back-to-back game against a good team and they're like, you're just going to lose that game and just accept accept it as it is. Um, but yeah, no, on, on Rodriguez, I think I remember looking at his numbers when they signed him and actually like the first half of the season in Bulgaria, he didn't really do anything. Like in terms of his goal scoring numbers weren't great. And then the second half he exploded and then obviously he played reasonably well in the conference league or Europa League, I can't remember which one it was that we saw him in. I think it was a conference league, wasn't it, against Anderlecht. Um He looks pretty good in that. So I think that it's just like his second half of the season is what got him the move. And maybe he just, he does kind of like late, Getting, he just needs some time to get up and running in a season. I don't know. Like it's just maybe yep. it's just a player thing. But could be. And also, like my my main thing with the doubt is still, but like the the finishes he does have, yeah. like also the second make... goal, like I, I, the non penalty goal, because maybe it was even the first goal this weekend. But um, it, it didn't look nice. But okay, it's not clean, on the other it? hand, it did, it's not clean and like. But the, the, the yeah, the opposite thing there you can say is of course he obviously comes in a lot of good positions and that's a very important quality. And if he then converts enough of them, no matter how, yeah, it's definitely a good transfer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like if he puts the ball in the back of the net. Um it was it a couple of years ago Anderlecht, uh, the Anderlecht striker that they had, the German guy who just scored penalties and we were like, Is he good or is he not good? No one knows because he just scores pens. What's his name? Mecha. Yeah, the Mecha, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Off on the spot. It's nice to be uh, it's nice to be wrong about a player sometimes. It keeps it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more the other way around. I think I'm just constantly wrong, probably. <laughs> the, is that the players that I enjoy watching have zero end product, like Musa Gineppo. They're the players I love watching because they're just fun. Yeah. A bit of trickery, bit of skill. Uh, that, that's, with Gineppo, you literally have uh, literally zero end product. Yeah, he is the definition <laughs> of no end product. Like Conan and Dree used to love, loved it when he was in Irfan, but he did, didn't have any end product either. Um, one player that I am really enjoying watching, um, who could probably maybe fall into that category a little bit, is a Juke of Royal Antwerp. Like he's lovely, lovely on the ball. His dribbling stats are insane really really good um and he was at it again this weekend uh against Charleroi lovely little jink inside and the pass through to Janssen was so nice the finish was not nice but it went in so who cares um, if you're Vincent Janssen not much um Patron could do he's obviously in goal for Charleroi with her the cat coffee over at AFCON um not the best kind of day out for Patron picking the ball out of the net a couple of times in this one uh, Ajuke almost assisted for the second one, uh, but as the ball ricocheted back off goalkeeper defender, uh, Elanika was was there to make it to nil. Findal then smashed in uh, the third 
just after 65 minutes to make it three. Ekelen Camp then tapped in at the back post because by that point, Charleroi had clearly given up. Uh, no one wanted to defend. They just were letting people score left, right and centre at that point. Uh, Dan Hamans and Antoine Bernier did come off the bench and they linked up to make it a little bit respectable uh, to end the game 4-1. But thankfully for Charleroi, no one's talking about the game. Uh, because of everything that happened afterwards with the banner that was unfurled in support of Mark Overmars. Um, if you haven't heard, he's obviously been handed a suspension uh, from football-related activities. By is by FIFA now. It was initially by the Dutch FA, but now it's been raised higher up for obviously all the stuff that happened at Ajax that is well-documented, kind of, yeah, the unsolicited pictures that were being sent to FIFA members of staff and all this horrendous, horrendous stuff. Um there's a questionable, questionable banner in support of him. Then he's now going to appeal that suspension. Wasn't helped by the statement that Antwerp have since released today. And you know it's never good if you just release a statement on your website and you don't put it on social media because you're just trying to avoid any sort of repercussions for it. Um, it's just a bit contradictory uh, if you haven't read it yet. Just kind of talking about we believe everyone should get a second chance, but we agree that like obviously what he did was bad and he has to prove that he deserves a second chance every single day. But we did a lot of due diligence to bring him in in the first place, even though they brought him in after six months. Um, and then we wanted to respect and support the guy that we've got to know over the last two years. But we also want to make sure that our work environment is a great place to work in for base. It's basically saying we want to make the work environment safe for female members of staff, but they don't say that explicitly. Um, it's just the, the one of the dumbest statements I think I've like read. Um and yeah, I think it's it's pretty bad play from them. I think I don't think they should be I, it's obviously you can tell why they've done it because Overmars has delivered them and helped them win the first title since nineteen fifty seven. Like that's clear. And that was always gonna be the situation, wasn't it? We even said when they brought him in, there was a lot of kind of discourse around it, there was a lot of fan anger about it. Um but they clearly thought, if we just stick with this, it'll all go away because he's going to bring a success, and he did. Um, so, yeah, for Charleroi, they've somehow gotten away with no one really caring that they lost 4-1 because everyone outside of the Belgian media is kind of talking about it. Not a lot in the Belgian media about it or about the get result either. Um, so, yeah, not the greatest of look from them, but I thought we can't really talk about the game without actually talking about it because... It's just something that needs to be talked about. And I think it just doesn't set the right example for like women working in football, in my opinion. I think it's really, really bad. And it's just kind of saying, it's just brushing the victims away. Do you know what I mean? It's just saying that, oh, you don't matter because we've got to know him. And actually, we, we think he's all right. We think he's fine because we've got to know him after two years. But we want us the place to be safe. So weird, weird situation um, with all that going on. He is appealing it, so we'll just kind of see what happens. But yeah, it's a little bit kind of left a sour taste in the mouth seeing that. I don't know. You guys, obviously, if you want to jump in and say what you want to say, feel free. And kind of reflections on the game as well. But I thought we should kind of address it early on <laughs> rather than just it completely ignoring it. Yeah, I think it's been quite a big story, really, um, this this week. Not only the statement, actually, um, which, you know, as Ben was saying, has kind of been hidden under the radar a little bit, but the actual banner itself, which was initially unfurled by fans, and then after the game, um, the the playing squad decided to, to display the banner 
um, with, with with the fans. I, I have to be honest, I was really uncomfortable when I saw it, guys. I thought my initial reaction was, oh, that's a, a really bad error of judgment there. Um, I You expect fans to express strong opinions um, and that's that's okay, right, rightly or wrongly. You know, they pay their money, they come in, they support the team. You know, it's, it's it's part of it's part of the game. I think it's an entirely different thing when players decide. You know what? We're gonna stand in solidarity with with that banner and have photographs taken of it as well. Um, I mean, can you imagine going home that evening as a player and actually having to explain that to your wife or to your girlfriend, your daughter? Do you know what I mean? It just really, a really bad look. And if I was working in the comms department anywhere at Antwerp, I would have been watching that and been pretty horrified by it. Because I think there's a right and a wrong way to do these things. And I think releasing the statement, even if you disagree with the elements of it, you know, they're coming out and supporting their man, which I can understand rightly or wrongly. I think the players endorsing a banner like that goes into a different area um, and it's just a really big own goal. On the game itself, uh, Antwerp completely dominant, really, uh, overpowered Charleroi, simple as that. Um, Charleroi, I think, only two wins in their last seven now. And I don't know about you guys, but I strongly suspect they'll be really happy if their season ended now. The one bit of good news, uh, I think, apart from the three points for Antwerp, obviously, this week was Toby Alderweireld and uh, Arthur Vermeeren, of course, cleaning up at the Golden Shoe. Uh, both richly deserved. So there's a couple of positive stories that I know they've been talking about, but perhaps they could have made a little bit more of them this week and not undermine that slightly with, with that horrible banner. Yeah, like it's a very bad look. Yeah, and I, I, I don't get how there's so much support even on social media still from other from Antwerp, mainly from Antwerp fans as well. I guess there's there's just no way that you can place Overmar Sears as a victim in in this case. And I know it's not this the sentiment and from everyone is a bit different and it's more about the case maybe, but in in that second chance, but I it. Just is regardless of all that, it's a bad look, and you can't really do such thing. And all like, I guess there's not much worse worse to to be used around it. I think you guys said uh, all all of it as well already. But like everything around it is like complete another BS. <laughs> That's uh, to uh, just uh, trying to justify anything around that. But okay, through the game then, uh, first win for Antwerp after three games uh, without one, back in the top six as well, unbeaten at home in the league so far in the season as well, so that's all good signs for them on the pitch. Uh, another encouraging thing is uh, lots of youngsters getting uh, getting minutes. Um, yeah, and um, and also Charleroi lost their bogey team uh, status against Antwerp now uh, with two losses uh, inside uh, two months now after having beaten them in the last three league games. Uh, of course, they also lost in December in the in the cup uh, already. And uh, yeah, like I agree with, with Scott's uh, season is really in a slump for them. I feel like they will be really, really happy if they manage to, uh, to get out of the season uh, escaping the relegation playoffs. Um, yeah, and let's see if they will actually be able to do so. They're definitely still uh, one of the candidates uh, for for the being in there. Yeah, they definitely are, and I think in the past we've been really harsh about Leuven in terms of their recruitment, but I think we kind of need to start 
putting our pair like our kind of microscope to Charleroi because their their signings have been crap. <laughs> let's let's be fair, they've been really bad. Like they just don't really seem to gel or work. Um, like think how many like strikers they've kind of signed, but this weekend they're playing in Benza and Young Silla uh, up front. Like they're not playing Stulich. They're not playing uh, Badgy, obviously, who they did buy and they did sign and stuff. Obviously, De Bag set the Asia Cup, so maybe he would have played, but he's hardly like set the set the league alight with his performances. Bernie is coming off the bench. Um, Hermans is funny enough. Hermans has actually done all right when he's come off the bench. He's got, I think he's got a couple of assists in his last two games, but most of the time they've been in losing situations, so it doesn't really matter too much. So yeah, they they've somehow kept hold of Sorgan and some of these other guys and they're just not not looking good at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm very concerned for them because I feel like they, from the outside, they're just like sleepwalking into a relegation um, and they're going to wake up too late and it's going to be at that point that some of the other sides who have started to do stuff will will kind of zip past them. Like maybe Vesselo could zip past them. Um, I don't know about Leuven. I don't, I don't want to say anything about Leuven, but... <laughs> I, I worry if Charleroi drop into the bottom four. I think that's if they have finished the season in the bottom four, even if they're not in that relegation too, I feel like you, you do get a bit worried about them. Like what are they going to be able to kind of claw their way out of that? Because that is, they do not expect to be there at the end of the season and they haven't set themselves up to be there at the end of the season. So interesting. Uh, yeah. Very, very worried for the Zebras. Um, one, one last thing about this game, or maybe not about the game, but about Antwerp, like it does look. Uh, well, usually we try not to do this kind of speculation things, but uh, it does really look like uh, Vermeer is leaving this winter already to Atletico uh, without loan back, as far as our knowledge goes at the moment. Yeah. So that that could have an impact on the rest of their season as well, of course, uh, with what they will do with with the money they will get of uh, for him as well, of course. If he doesn't all have to go to to yeah, uh, covering debt because that's another story we actually didn't touch on on Antwerp. They they also have yeah have their issues. They basically have to sell Vermeer, and I think even uh, in this window window. Um, yeah, um, let's see uh, what they will do with the money and what they can do with this money. Those are the two things, aren't they? Yeah, what they will do, what they can do. And I think, obviously, they've like Mandela Kate has been linked again with a couple of moves away. They they kind of can't really afford to lose another midfielder in there. Yeah, um, but on the other hand, he he can't play for another team this season already. Anyway, since he made some minutes in a game again for Leuven still in the beginning of the season, so, so he's gonna at least so he has to stay. He has to stay <laughs> or go to Leuven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be a turnaround. Because uh, we don't know what the status of. I haven't seen anything about the status of Yusuf. Obviously, like I, if people watch the first Nigeria game of this Afcon. All Nigeria fans were like in love with Al Hassan Youssef. Like they were like, this guy's amazing. Then he gets injured, and it just kind of like was like, oh, typical. Um, and you know, when you're sat there, you're like, oh, I know this guy's good. I've seen him play. Like I know this is his. He was just doing typical Youssef stuff where he's just like everywhere all the time. So you football hipster. Oh yeah, exactly. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when Abubakari Koita scored an absolute screamer for Mauritania. That that was definitely worth it. Um, which is a brilliant segue to Union against St. Sludan. Obviously, we're all looking at St. Sludan thinking, what are they going to do without Abubakari Koita? They're one of those teams we thought, oh, they, they, at the beginning of the season, we thought they're bottom four guaranteed. Um, but yeah, then Fink proved everyone wrong. 
They could be without Koita for a little bit longer. His side at the time of recording are currently beating Algeria 1-0, um, which technically I think would put them in the, one of the spots for the best third place teams, which would be absolutely ridiculous. But a long way to go in that game still. And it's, yeah, you expect Algeria to maybe get back into it. But without Koita, who are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to Zari Hosalem. Of course, who else is going to score the goals? But the big American striker, uh, which after, I'm quite happy to see him score a goal. It's quite a nice story coming straight from kind of like US university level football straight to the Belgian Pro League. It's a bit mental um, in my mind, like not even going through the draft into the MLS and then moving over like that straight from straight from there over to here. Um, but it was created by two of St. Junior's best players this season they're two, they're two wing backs in Burkat and Hashioka Burkat with the quash Hashioka with the knock back down Zarelesem then with the acrobat see it, it technically is an acrobatic finish but like that feels a bit too generous for like the, the, the stages with which he did it in like it was such like a slow motion like acrobatic is a bit generous but he, he, he's kind of bicycle kicks it but it's not really a bicycle kick but it's, it's a decent finish um Past Linda in goal, obviously no Anthony Morris for Union. Um, so yes, Azalem gets his goal to make it 1-0. And then I need to check this, and I don't know if you guys have the numbers, but the man who must have the best minutes to goal ratio of most players in the Pro League, Ross Sykes scores. And for once, he was actually with his big head rather than his like, left foot or right foot because he's usually absolutely lethal with his feet. Uh, but the centre-back heads in from a corner, from Cameron Puerta's corner, just into added time in the first half to make it 1-1. Massive, massive concerns for Union. However, when Cameron Puertas goes off injured, Dill didn't look very nice, um, didn't look very good. Blessing said it didn't look very good either. So fingers crossed it's not one of those kind of like season-ending ones because you just you really want him to be able to play again. Um, even if it's like he has to come back in the playoffs, I'm hoping it's like before then um, because he's really, really good. Uh, Joris is nodding at me, so it looks like it's not as bad as first feared or he's just in agreement with me. So I'm not sure. <laughs> One of those two things. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look it up, but it was not so, uh, what it exactly was, but it was a mild uh, ankle. No, well, where was he? Right. Hits injury and they're covering day by day. So, like the games this week against both games against Anderlecht in the cup and even the game in the weekend. Um, yeah, they have to see it game by day, but it doesn't sound so serious actually. Um, yeah, so this week maybe, and of course, it's an important week with these games, but for the rest of the season, it should be not, not having many consequences. Yeah, pretty good. entertaining game this guys pretty entertaining game um, I thought it was the best game that I saw this weekend anyway and going into the weekend I thought it would be quite a good game because as Ben was saying St Truden have been and still are one of the surprise packages of the season in terms of entertainment you know if you want a good side to watch then you know they're, they're, they're definitely that at the moment not always you know if you're a St Truden fan it must be a bit painful in some ways because you know there's tons and tons of positives there uh, on a weekly basis but the one negative that keeps haunting them came back to bite them on the bum again, and that is dropping points right at the death. I haven't checked how many points they have dropped very late on this season, but it's definitely more than 10 points over the last few months. And, you know, when you look at the table and you think, God, I mean, even, even if they'd managed to salvage half of the points that they'd thrown away, they probably would be six or seven points better off at least. So it's a massive frustration 
um, obviously to, to, to Torsten Fink. Um, Union, I felt actually a draw was probably fair in this game, but Union did what Union do, even though they were just slightly below par this weekend. They managed to grind out the win because of how indomitable they are and the players who perhaps not have been getting as much game time as they would like because of other players um, really kind of stepping up um, this weekend. And if you're Alexander Blessing, you can't really ask any more than that. And he was he was well delighted to get that over the line in the end. Yep, and uh, well, it is a uh, a minor ankle sprain in the end for Puertas, to be completely precise. So uh, yeah, it doesn't sound too bad, uh, but yeah, the consequences we'll see indeed. The next few games uh, are in doubt. The rest should be fine, uh, most likely. Yeah, this was indeed a game with both teams missing their main strikers, and that they're actually playing well, strikers or goal scorers. Uh, and they're actually playing against each other than uh, against each other this this at this moment at this very moment. So uh, yeah, if Koita is indeed winning, that might mean that Amura might be coming back soon for Union uh, as well, because Algeria didn't have the best of starts in the in the Afcon in any ways. Sintrada, uh, yeah, like, I, I think you guys said most of the things in this game about this game already. Sintrada playing quite well for the majority of the time. But uh, yeah, I think it was already seven points in injury time alone, uh, in stoppage time alone that they have thrown away. And that's not counting the comebacks from Hint and Hink and uh, some other teams, that I believe, as well. So they, they are definitely not rewarding themselves. Um, and they are even... I, I don't see it happening, but in theory, I guess they're actually not that far away from actually being in danger as well. There's uh, luckily for them a lot of teams in between, though, so I don't, I don't think they should actually worry. But um, yeah, okay, there's still there's still a gap, of course, but uh, they're closer there than they are to to playoff one, and that's uh, that's what you would not expect based on their performances this season. Uh, I'll put it that way. Unio also here scoring twice in stoppage time, actually from both halves. Uh, then of course, but nonetheless, yeah, that definitely even uh, reaching the the halfway line there was uh, was was not uh, in the what what Sintrada managed to do. I mean, they probably would have deserved to to go in uh, at that point in the in the game, uh, going front, be still being front. Um, yeah, well, just worth mentioning. Maybe it was a bit of a funny mo. Well. In hindsight, maybe funny moment, uh, the, Nils- the Nilsson dive that initially got him a penalty, uh, which, uh, well, <laughs> luckily was overturned by VAR because there was literally nothing going on there. And uh, he even still got a, a yellow card for a dive there because it was so ridiculous, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, and um, yeah. And it looked quite bad for a long time as well for Union, but uh, ultimately they are the only team in the, that was in the top four before the, uh, the the game they started that won their game. So they even, uh, at least in points, uh, they they did, um, yeah, do ha- have had a good weekend. Uh, yeah, I I had written also down the Pretas in- injury, but we already talked about it now already, and that it doesn't look as bad as it as it actually. It, it looked worse than it actually is. <laughs> seems to be um, for sure that um, yeah that's uh, the results did go their way in the end uh, not only on their pitch yeah thanks to big kev big kevin rodriguez with that goal at the end there and that they won't say it um but obviously yeah if this if this result stands and Amora's back they'll be quite happy about that and then 
Uh, Lazar Mani might also be back because Ivory Coast got absolutely demolished by Equatorial Guinea. Um, they still got a chance of staying in, but he hasn't really featured anyway. Um, so he'll he'll come back. Actually, probably needed to get some match time to get back up to full fitness. But yeah, they may get those two guys back, which means Koita has to stay uh, if that is the case. So yeah, it could be very, very interesting. Yoris mentioned um, sides in the top four not having won. Uh, one of those sides were Anderlecht. They went down within the first 10 minutes in this one. And I hadn't seen the goals until like, I was still reading all the, kind of the news and stuff. And there was, it was like, I don't know if um, Peter and Casper and have like a direct line to some journalists, but they were like, can you like just ease some of the pressure on me from the goal that went in this weekend? Can you just like put loads of like articles out that say it wasn't actually my fault? So I was like, oh, I clearly he didn't do that much. He didn't do that badly. Uh, but I saw it. I was just like, this is just rubbish, to be honest. Like, he grabs the corner that comes in and decides he's going to get rid of the ball quickly, which I don't I don't mind a keeper deciding to do a quick transition, but at least put some oomph on it. Kicks it straight to Maziz. Maziz just kind of like waltzes in and then crosses it. I'm going to say he definitely crosses it. And it just, he reacts so slowly to the ball going in. It's like, come on, man. Like, you're better than that. Um, it's like, it's always it's always the way of goalkeepers, isn't it? They make one mistake and usually they'll compound it. Especially, not, not the, this is where the top ones kind of separate themselves out. They'll compound that mistake with a second mistake that then leads to a goal. And that's what that's what Casper did. And he used to be a top goalkeeper, but he's just not the same as he was anymore. Um, and at the same time, you've got this, it's just a weird goalkeeping situation there. Any way that they messed up in the summer, in my opinion, they've just created tension for no reason. Um, so it is really interesting that all these articles were coming out that were defending him for that mistake. But I was like, it's, it's his mistake. And he's just, you've got to like be able to write and accept that it's his mistake. He's 30 something, 37. He knows he's made a mistake. He's not an idiot. Um, but that gave Leuven the lead in the game that they had, I think it was 28% possession in. Uh, they really didn't have a lot of the ball. And Lech did have a lot of the ball, but their goal came from what could be probably put down for another goalkeeper mistake. Um, Former Leuven player Louis Patrice with the cross that just goes all the way in. And again, like, initially I was like, okay, no fair, that's a freak goal. But I don't know, I feel like, listen, he just reacts kind of slowly to the ball, like coming across, like you can see he's, he's like, that's a cross. And then as he's kind of backpedaling, he's like, oh no, that's that's actually a danger. over his head. So not the best goalkeeping uh, on display uh, in Leuven against Anderlecht. That's what finished it off as 1-1. I think on the balance of things, though, Leuven would have taken that result all day long. I think for them, that's a great result in terms of how little of the ball they had and stuff like that. Um, Anderlecht, it's quite frustrating that they weren't able to force more and to to kind of to put them to bet, to put Leuven away like they probably would have expected to. But it's good. Sign- I guess it's kind of good signs for Leuven that they're fighting and the defence is kind of holding some teams a little bit. Um, but yeah, I guess not the best result for, for the Mervs and yeah, Union steal a couple more points on them. Yeah, it was beginning to look like Union were going to drop a couple of points and I remember saying to you guys, uh, before just as the Union game was finishing, um, Anderlecht would be praying for that to be the case, um, you know, kind of going into that game. And actually, in truth, I don't think they were great this weekend, Anderlecht. A really great example of dominating a game in terms of possession, but doing very, very little with it. Um, and that's something they've actually been improving throughout the course of the season. You know, they, they started very, very slowly, obviously, and kind of got to a point where they were starting to dominate 
bigger and bigger chunks of games and um, this weekend they dominated it in terms of possession but did absolutely nothing with it and I just wonder, I don't know the answer to this yet, but I, I, I just wonder whether the winter break almost came at the wrong time for Anderlecht. You know, there was a good head of steam building up. They were in pretty good form, um, you know, overperforming, actually, if you look at some of the numbers in terms of points that they were picking up. Um, so maybe this is the beginning of a little phase where, you know, that, that overperformance is going to balance itself out slightly. It'll be interesting to see how they do over the next month. They've got some big games coming up. The Cup game against Union, the big Brussels derby, obviously, has been postponed. Um, we would have had that by now. Um, that's, that's an exciting one to kind of look forward to. Um, but I think... Considering they didn't produce that much this weekend, um, they'll be glad to have just got a point because it's not harmed them too much. Leuven, on the other hand, although they continue to improve very, very small margins, um, they're still right in it. And interestingly, this weekend, most of the bottom sides have have done a little bit better than, than you would expect. So it's getting a bit tighter down there than it was before the break. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I wanted to say that as well. Like, it, I think you guys covered my, a lot of my points as well. Like, again, but uh, despite a, 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 a good point, I guess for Leuven, they actually might be one of the uh, well. That's maybe a bit disrespectful. I didn't, don't mean it like that. But one of the losers over the weekends, uh, losing sides over the weekend, um, even though they they grab a point that they well would have signed for beforehand, most likely. On Anderlecht, yeah, maybe the break actually came a little bit too late because in the last few games they picked up a lot of injuries, which are haunting them now as well, of course. So maybe it, 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 it's a, you can look at it in both ways, I guess. Uh, and of course, yeah, this just does not help them. Um, yeah, also another thing that does not help is Dolberg not being in uh, in in having not in the best spell of his season uh, for the last couple of months. Uh, well, let, let's say the last month or so, the last couple of games. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, the game of two crosses going in, uh, that's how I had defined it already. But uh, that, that you could take up out of uh, Ben's description of the goals already as well. Um, yeah, but Patrick's hitting... You want you want to say he hit one ball right in this game, but actually he he, he just actually hit it that wrong that it became right, <laughs> made that big of a mistake. It became a, like a, a right. At least he he was honest enough about it as well. Like uh, yeah, he did not try to claim that it was a shot or hit himself. Uh, I was like, no, I I just mishit it, <laughs> and uh, it it went in well quite quite nicely, of course that that way. Um, well. I don't want to go too much over it as well, but like uh, bad refereeing in this game, uh, like I think both both sides could could uh, complain uh, as well. Like Anderlecht probably could have gotten a penalty, um, and and Leuve can complain on the other hand that uh, I think two times, I think it was uh, two times, I think it was Patris actually, and and the bust uh, got lucky not getting a second yellow card for well fouls that you usually would get a well. A yellow booking for anyway, um, so yeah, just that that goes both ways. I don't know if it was a deciding factor in the game, but it was just another another game that was let um, well with, with 
not well lit. <laughs> I did notice as well uh, this weekend, guys, on the subject of that bad referee and that Yoris is talking about, the Anderlecht fans are quite funny. Uh, they were having a pop, obviously, at uh, Club Bruges and, and Yoris's side, uh, Genk, by saying, look, we were on the receiving end of some really dodgy decisions this weekend, but you don't see us whining about it. So, you know, they were, they were claiming the moral high ground there, which, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they'd been the receiving end of some of the other decisions, whether they would feel the same, but that gave me a bit of a laugh. That's going to happen all season long now. The rest of the season, that's going to be like <laughs> fans having a go. Um, that's football, isn't it? Um, another group of fans that were having a go, but they were having a go at their own team, and they said they were going to have a go at their own team, were the Molenbeek fans. Um, after they lost to Oostend, um, Oostend, who we don't even know if they're going to exist week to week, uh, the fans were pretty pretty annoyed. Uh, as you can understand, especially with the team selection. They weren't happy they didn't put out the strongest team, but they thought the team could have done better. Um, they said, if you're losing, the game will not end this weekend. Um, this was against Urpen as well, so obviously a relegation six-pointer. Uh, they started all right, kind of say they're probably the better team in the first half of this game, but Urpen were definitely better in the second half, and then his striker ran out on Mon scored his first goal for the club. Lovely header from a set piece uh, from a corner. The corner came actually after Defornia made a really, really good save to keep it at nil-nil, but then he, nothing he could do about the set piece. Uh, get into the 80th minute, and that's when the fans decide the game's not going to finish. Um, so they start pelting the pitch. Players go off. Referee tries to get the game back on again, but the fans are like, no, this, this isn't happening. So he does what he has to do, which he just has to call the game off, uh, which is why we're going to play the final couple of minutes on Wednesday afternoon to see kind of if, like, how the game's going to finish. Not sure where I stand on that decision, actually. Like, I kind of get it because should the Molenbeek players be punished for the actions of a couple of fans? Should all of Molenbeek's fans be punished for an action of a couple of fans? However, lots of kind of rumours have come out that it's one of the guys that started it was actually banned from the stadium. So, so how do you get in? <laughs> he knows what's going to happen. And it's kind of like, is one of those things. And I've obviously, my people that probably know a bit about Reading would have seen that we've done it recently. We've had games kind of, postponed we had our game against Port Vale postponed but we're trying to get rid of our owner um so we kind of have a massive reason for that and I'm sure Bonavik fans probably do want to get rid of their owner but our owner is kind of taking us into administration at the moment like East End so yeah feel for you East End fans kind of know what that feels like at the moment but the kind of response from Molenbeek has been like everyone's there that like, you need to strengthen so where do they go they just go to the clubs within their system already which is what they've been doing and I just, it just feels a bit kind of narrow-minded. It's just Botafogo players. It's like, where can we get? Oh, let's go to Botafogo. Let's go to Crystal Palace. Let's just get some youngsters loaned in. Um, don't think that's going to cut it. I think they are now in serious, serious trouble. This result just kind of confirms it where they're just... You can see why the fans are annoyed. There just didn't seem to be much kind of fight and effort going in against an open side that have lost so many games. But... They could go tomorrow and turn it around. Like we've seen crazier things happen. And it's kind of like, is it fair that Urban now have to travel across Belgium again to play these last couple of minutes? Um, when you'd say that during the game, they probably would have, they had the momentum going for them. They were like playing quite well. It's now just kind of fresh slate, see what happens sort of thing. So it's just a bit of a mess, really. And 
as angry as you can be about your team not playing well, I don't think there's any reason for you to to do that and to stop the game. Like, I, obviously, yeah, I may be hypocritical, but I find that what we did had to do as Reading fans was a little bit more justified because of the situation at the club, whereas it's slightly different with Molenbeek. Um So, yeah, unfair on Open, I think, at the end of the day. I think they probably did, they deserve to win the game at the end because of how they've been playing. And it's just a bit unfair that that victory, which would have been the first one for literal months, has been taken away from them because of the actions of the opposing fans. Yeah, there's been a fair bit of disquiet around uh, Molenbeek in recent weeks as their as their form has been sort of consistently dipping. And ahead of this game, there was a there was a supporters uh, group gathering with the kind of club's hierarchy, which John Texter attended, and he, he was fielding some questions. And he did actually get asked about uh, Claudio Cacapa, uh, and Texter was uh, noticeably quite coy about that, which in some ways you can understand, but um, he certainly didn't come out with a he's our man, he's all right for the moment type response. So um, he, he kind of, you know, you know, played the Fourth Amendment there, didn't really want to say anything about that. And the fans obviously have been frustrated with that decline in form and don't really know how to express that. This probably isn't the right way to do it. Um, I think there are other forums like the one held before the game. Um, but I suppose it is what it is. And, and if Erpen can get the points um, tomorrow when the game finishes, and I think they probably will, it would be a big surprise if... You know, if if they weren't able to see out those remaining minutes, then as I was saying earlier, it's going to have been a a pretty good weekend for for sides at the bottom and Open, who looked like and actually still are in free fall. I mean, their form's been awful. Um, find themselves in a situation where it's kind of all to play for again because of other results this weekend. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic to go into that game, of course, as well. Like uh, Molenbeek probably putting on some extra strikers for these five minutes, and they—it's a completely different game. Obviously, like they have to go all out anyway. They know that. Yeah, let's see if Erpen can hold on or, or even do something uh, against that. Uh, like both teams can prepare for that, and it's—it um, was the case a few uh, months ago with uh, two games in the Eredivisie as well um, for different reasons. Uh, but uh, yeah, and there's an interesting dynamic about it. I think in the end, none of those games had goals in them, but there, there were teams that actually did that do their homework. Uh, I think they had a little bit more time to prepare for it, though. It was not a few days after, uh, but uh, yeah, that it, it all feels a bit unfair. So I, I can actually only hope that Erpe, that well, it actually that, that it finishes at nil one. I guess uh, that Erpe, uh gets the points here, that the points they do deserve. On the other hand, um, of course, they they should have put this, this game to bed already before they they had all the chances for that. Uh, the Furni being the only Molenbeek man uh, being in, in, in form, I guess, and keeping them in the game. Um, yeah, and if Erpe can hold, can hold, get hold of these point, three points, um, of course, uh, while the teams, well, the, the, then the bottom three all will have gotten points, um, even if they, if, even, even if they only concede once, of course, that would be the case, but uh, that, then the dynamic is a bit different, but all the teams above those three, then uh, the, the first teams above them uh, will, uh, will not, not have gathered points, so indeed, then that there's all the, then it's really on there for a lot of teams in the, in the bottom, again, the teams that probably felt they were safe already or don't need to worry too much uh, could be dragged into it uh, really quickly. 
yeah, uh, most things have been said again, but um, yeah, Biro, uh, maybe it worth to mention, he, he was back uh, and, and got a start, but uh, the bad news for Molenbeek is that he also already got off injured again, so they brought, might have brought him back too early, and um, yeah, that could harm them longer term, of course, uh, despite what happens in these remaining five minutes, uh, or maybe, yeah, five minutes probably, I don't think there will be that much time added on most likely, uh, but uh, regardless of that, yeah, that that could harm them uh, more uh, than whatever happens in these minutes. Yeah, do you add on <laughs> when are you adding time on from? Like, do you have to do that to keep count of what happened in the second half? And then you got to, I guess, add that on. But like, it's yeah, it's it's kind of confusing. It's it's also uh, the risk of injury is like massively high. Like, you're gonna have to warm up a lot. Because, like you said, you're like, and you said as well, Scott. Like, yeah, Monaby could gonna have to really go for it. So you're gonna have to play at a really high intensity. Like most teams, when they start the game, don't start that intense. Like usually, but you've got to somehow click into gear and be like, right, we've got it. It's kind of like like playing those um, that they have here a lot. These Saturday morning kind of football tournaments we used to do. Where it's like you, you have like ten minute matches. And it's like right, you just got to go from the kickoff. You got to just like absolutely blitz it. Um, so yeah, like, I. I Nothing against Molenbeek kind of players and stuff like that, but I do hope Open win just because I think it's the, the fair result. Um, but again, we also don't know that if Molenbeek would have scored in those last couple of minutes. You just don't know. But um, I'm just not happy with their kind of transfer business. I don't like it when clubs are so solely focused on just taking players from a certain thing. I think you run that real risk of ending up like Salang, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> where you're just, you're only relying on one source for your your players. And there was also, I was, I was trying to remember, do you remember that game a couple of years ago, the Beer Scott game where it rained so badly, they had to call mm. it off, a, they, they restarted it. And like Vandenberg was randomly playing when he hadn't been playing in the other game or something. And it's all got a bit weird, like on who was playing, who, who shouldn't have been playing and stuff. So Hopefully none of that happens again, because that was all a bit strange. Um, talking of Salang and Beer Scott, Scott, let's segue to the challenger, because as per usual, it's been eventful. My word, has it been eventful? We've reached match day 18, and I don't think quite as much action on and off the pitch has happened in a gap since since we've been away. There was a lot of postponements this weekend um, because of the weather um, in Belgium, so we only had uh, four CPL games uh, able to be completed. Denza won convincingly 4-0 against manager Liège. More about that in a second. Zulta Varagam continued to frustrate and disappoint and uh, not convince, shall we say, by drawing uh, one each with Jong Genk. Patroized and beat SL 16-3-1. And Beveren um, missed out on the opportunity to go third after losing at home to club next. Um, so the bigger picture, Beershot remained top. Um, you know, largely because of other results this weekend. Dens are up to third, remain in quite good form. Beveren, as I was saying, missed a chance to go third um, and to seriously bring themselves into the mix, although they're still in a good position. Um, the really big takeaways at the moment are um, Ustend, who despite what could be considered an upturn in form, uh, recent wins both in the Cup and in the league, remain bottom. Um, five points clear of safety at the moment with uh, 13 games to go. But the, the the more concerning news is today it was confirmed they are now in administration. 
the administrators have been appointed. Um, so they're in financial control of the club now. And as Ben was saying earlier, very much living week to week at the moment. So we don't know whether Oostend are going to be with us this time next week. We just need to kind of keep our fingers crossed and, and hope for the best. Ben mentioned Sarang, who have a new manager in place. And it is somebody we know. It's the return of uh, M. Bailey. Ex-Standard Liège and Zerta Varagam, T1. He's come in on a deal until the end of the season, um, which is a pretty good appointment from Sarang, I think. Um, you know, he's he has a reputation for being pretty decent for working with young players. Um, and I think that's very much a suck-it-and-see type deal. You know, if he does all right there, then he might well be there a little bit longer. So I think that's a deal that suits both the club and Mbai. Speaking of T1s, I mentioned Liège. They sacked T1 Joe Christians um, during the break as well um, and are scouting around looking for the right appointment, which I think is quite important because they've they've been pretty wobbly this season, uh, probably a little bit more wobbly than I think most people expected. The unexpected downturn, perhaps, with some of the players leaving um, and Tom Van Imschut, who was a very stabilising force there, leaving as well. Um, yeah, it's been disappointing and they've not been happy. So Joe Christians has left, waiting to see who's coming in there. Might have more news for you next week. The other two big bits of news, and we're jam-packed for news from this division this week. RAC Liège, who've been in pretty good form recently, now have new owners. They've got new American owners. Um, and it seems quite a good fit. From, from what we know so far as well. It's not a big um, multi-club network. It's a group of individuals uh, who've come together uh, and who really seem to kind of like what's going on at RFC Liège there. Talk of uh, new stadium plans, tripling the share capital. So it's pretty positive, stabilising news for them as they look to build for the future. And the other big bit of news is um, a name that most people will know, of course, and that is Dirk Coit. Um, is now the T1 at Beershop. Uh, Liverpool and Farnwood fans obviously don't need to know anything about Dirk Coy, but that's a, an interesting and perhaps slightly contentious appointment. Yeah, pretty sure most people have said it's a car crash waiting to happen, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> all, all the noises, he's absolutely terrible. So yes. it's, He's current managerial affair so far. Well, so, so far has not really been great. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, he was the bloke that took over Palace, the other Dutch coach. He's just a nightmare. De Boer was it? De Boer. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's always he, he, another disaster class of a bloke. That guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that Peter Bosch. Like Peter Bosch is always a funny one for me because he'll go so when people are like, oh, this guy's playing amazing football, and then you realise his teams just can't defend and never been able to. Um, yeah, but, this might not be the right season to laugh about that, though. But no, no, he's, 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 on the, he's on the comeback trail, isn't he? Like it's just like he's finally worked out how to balance the two things together. Um, but no, Dirk Coy, that's going to be interesting. Um, I love that. Obviously, yeah, we we massively fingers crossed that Ustenda still around um, in the next couple of weeks. Not just because um, I'm trying to yeah, trying to see if I can sneak out to their game on Sunday night against Denzel. Like, <laughs> Part of that hope was to see uh, Suleiman Ann as well, but he might be staying at AFCON and East End might not be around. So none of my wishes will come true and I'll just be having a nice quiet night in Bruges, probably drinking some Belgian beer or doing something like that. Um, we, may, we may find ourselves sitting here this time next week and um, Ben not only has a Suleiman Ann signed shirt, but he's witnessed the, you know, the final Oostend game ever. I mean, what a bizarre week that could be. 
Uh, yeah, tell, every bit. Don't, just don't tell Sophie, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> just popping out uh, for, for a walk. <laughs> She's like, you can take me to one, but to two, they're not going to happen. I was like, how do you sell East End? Like, yeah, they're in financial trouble and they might not exist. <laughs> show a picture of the mascots, Manton and Kev. Who would want to meet them? That'd be one last, way to last scare chance. Them, last chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll never be able to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> nah, fingers well, crossed, fingers crossed. I hope that's not the case. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Hope that's I'm hoping that they'll, they'll still be around. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's all go, isn't it, in the CPL? It's all go in the Pro League. It's been another eventful weekend of Belgian action. Um, yeah, we'll keep touching on kind of AFCON as we go through, obviously, with all the stuff that's coming in. Yeah, if you haven't listened to mine and Scott's uh, int- little chat, feel free to kind of go back through and listen to that. Quite strange being on the other end and guesting on your own podcast, but I think we made it work. So hopefully people have enjoyed it. Um, it's AFCON, but we're looking at it from a Belgian perspective, um, which obviously is a lot, a lot of history. Um, I think that's it. Probably for this week, guys. I can't think of anything else that we haven't touched on. I feel like we've pretty much touched on everything. Um, we're getting ourselves back into some form, uh, getting our match practice back in uh, for the rest of the podcast. Obviously, if you like what we do, you can find us on the Buy Me A Coffee website as well. Just go on to our social media and you'll find the link there. Thanks, like always, to everyone that is contributing. It's a massive help to keep this thing going. But, guys, as always, it's been a pleasure sharing the evening with you, talking Belgian football. It has, hasn't it? And uh, what a pleasure it is to be back. And uh, so nice to cover so much stuff. Yeah, and still, I think we still left a lot of things uncovered. But uh, well, if we forgot something, we'll probably touch on them if it's uh, still relevant in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. I know we did have a list of questions, but unfortunately, we just have not had time to get to it. But we'll go away, do a little bit of research, and we'll come back to you. I know, I think it was uh, about the different types of fans in the different cities with two clubs so a really interesting thing to talk about and we wanted to give it a little bit more time than we had time for this evening so yeah we have seen it do not worry uh if you've enjoyed this episode please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice it certainly helps us Um, if you want to ask any questions feel free to get in touch with us in all the different ways that are possible just look for us and you'll find any way of contacting us through there Uh, we absolutely love talking about your questions on the podcast or we can just reply straight back to you depending on which one you would prefer but as always thank you very much for listening to this episode of the belgian football podcast and we'll be with you again next week